see you all. If you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Galatians, chapter 6. I hope everyone is doing well. We're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 down to verse 5. Um, I'm going to um, pray for the Lord's help on our time together in Galatians chapter 6, and then we will uh, dig right in. should be around 45 minutes or so. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. Father, we are here needing, reviving. We are tired, we are weak, and we need Your Word to come and to revive us. We need wisdom. We need help. And so would You speak to us now, as You have so many times before, from Your Word to encourage our hearts, to encourage in us faithfulness, so that through our lives the light of the glory of Jesus would shine brighter every day. That's our goal, that's our hope, that's what we're working for, that's what we want. Would you fulfill that work in us and make Jesus big? Amen. Amen. In 2008, Doc Rivers was the head coach of the Boston Celtics. And it was a powerhouse team. It was filled with talent. Paul Pierce and Ray Allen, Rajon Rondo, of course, Kevin Garnett was on that team. And anyone who follows professional basketball knows that it takes more than superstars to win championships. And Coach Rivers had the challenge of getting this group of superstars to work together as a team. He had heard the teachings of a South African priest named Desmond Tutu, who had taught uh, an African philosophy of self, which is known as Ubuntu. Ubuntu means, I am because we are. It's the idea that personhood is relational rather than individual, that personhood is determined communally. That you are who you are because of others. 
And the Celtics incorporated this philosophy into their gameplay, even breaking huddles by shouting Ubuntu. And that team, with all that talent working together, went on to win the championship that year. Ubuntu is inscribed on their championship rings. The American philosophy of self is far less informed by African philosophy and much more informed by European philosophies. We follow Rene Descartes, who said, I think, therefore I am. So in the West, we build society around the individual. The self is primary. And now, of course, by God's common grace, there are some good things that come from individualism. Freedom, achievement, a sense of personal responsibility, all good things. But unchecked, individualism leads to isolation, can lead to a self-centeredness, to conceit. We've spent some time the last couple of weeks considering the effects of conceit of self-centeredness. We've, we've thought about what, is it, what does it look like to have yourself in the center of your life. We've seen that self-seeking and self-gratifying and putting ourselves in the center of our life actually leads to all sorts of distortions. And we've seen how having been united to Christ and filled with the Spirit of God, we Christians have been freed from the tyranny of self. And we are able to spend our lives with Jesus Christ in the center. And rather than being inward focused, we're able to be upward focused and outward focused. We've seen how this, having Jesus at the center rather than us at the center, is how God built us to work. And that we work best when He's in the center of our life. We've learned that this is what will lead to lasting happiness and joy and human flourishing. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which Pastor Brent has led us through in the Lord's Supper, gives us a whole new way to live, a new way to look at life. The gospel gives us new purpose, a purpose that is built around something bigger than making much of myself. The purpose of bringing glory to God. Here in chapter 6 of Galatians, Paul puts some legs under his teaching in chapter 5 of Galatians. Here is how we walk by the Spirit. Here is how we fulfill the law of Christ. Here is how we spend our life serving others in order that the excellencies of Jesus Christ would be known and celebrated throughout the world. We follow Jesus, and we help others follow Him to the glory of God. Here's the summary of the message this morning. Spirit-filled, blood-bought Christians approach others' sin with humble, burden-lifting, gentle restoration. Spirit-filled, blood-bought Christians approach others' sin with humble, burden-lifting, gentle restoration. So, three points to unpack this passage. Let's look at verse 1 again. We gently restore fellow sinners. Brothers, if 
anyone is caught in any transaction, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Three observations from verse 1. The first observation, how I am doing is your business, and how you are doing is my business. And that's not because I'm your pastor, it's because I'm your brother. The word brother in verse 1 actually means brother or sister. It's a familial word, and this is because the New Testament teaches that the church of Jesus Christ acts like and is like family. This is your church family, inasmuch as your blood relation is your family. God has given His church His mission to display the glorious grace of God by proclaiming and living the gospel of Jesus Christ before a lost and dying world. That God has given all of us a responsibility to proclaim the excellencies of Christ until Christ is all and in all. That we carry this message of God's grace to those who have never heard in in Piqua, in Miami County, and to the uttermost parts of the world, to the parts of this, pl- of this world where they have never heard the name of Jesus. This is the mission that God has given to His church, this church. And we can't accomplish that mission alone. We can't accomplish that mission together, but acting alone. We need one another. So the first observation to make in Galatians 6.1 is that Paul presumes that we would be involved in one another's lives to the extent that we would be able to take notice when one of us or many of us sin, if anyone is caught in any transaction, in transgression. So Paul presumes that we would be in one another's lives and be able to recognize sin and then care enough about that individual to then do something about it. That's the first observation. Second observation from Galatians 6.1 is that a Christian will get caught in sin. The word caught means to be overtaken. A Christian will at times in their life, often actually, get caught in sin, give in to temptation, be overcome by temptation. God told Cain, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, and you must overcome it. You remember when the Lord Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The devil waited until after he had fasted 40 days to begin the temptation. Why do you suppose that is? Probably because that's when Jesus was at his weakest. Even after the Lord overcame temptation with the devil in the wilderness, Luke records that the devil left him until an opportune time. Christian, temptation to sin will always be there, waiting for the right moment. 
So when you are feeling weak, when you're feeling frustrated, sin is crouching at the door waiting to pounce. And you can just about guarantee that when you're tired or bored or frustrated or lonely, temptation is coming. And you must overcome it. So that's the second observation. Christians will sin. But as we've discussed previously, Christians will fight to overcome sin. Third observation. You're not alone. You're not alone. In this battle against sin and temptation, you're not alone. Other Christians in your life will do something about it. Paul writes, you who are spiritual should restore him. We don't see this in English, but the word you, you in the Greek, in the original language, is plural. Y'all spiritual people is what he means. It is the responsibility of, of the spiritual, those who have been filled with God, the Holy Spirit, the church, spirit-filled believers who take upon themselves to restore the erring brother or sister. Church discipline is never about shaming. It is always about restoration. That word restore is an important one. It means mending something that was torn or broken. The medical community used that word to describe fixing a dislocated joint or setting a broken bone. When we sin... When we are caught in a transgression, we become disjointed. Something breaks. Our mobility and our effectiveness in laboring for the kingdom is affected, and that affects the whole community. And so it is the responsibility of our brother and our sister to restore us. And that restoration is painful and humbling, but it's for our good. The setting of a broken arm is so that the bone will heal properly, which may hurt, but it's for our long-term good. It's so that that person who broke their arm would be able to use their arm the way they should in the future. And that's what we're all called to do when sin is exposed in our number, to restore the one who has sinned. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might have this idea that Christians are the kind of people who are rather judgy, pointing fingers as to what you can and can't do and who you should love and shouldn't love. And maybe in your experience, Christians have done that in a very unloving way, and I'm sure that that happens. And I won't make any excuses for Christians who do that in an unloving way, but let me just tell you that oftentimes when Christians are pointing out sin, it's actually motivated by love. If you knew someone you loved was doing something that would hurt them, harm them, or harm someone else, is it loving to tell them or is it loving to not tell them? So the next time you find a Christian who feels judgy, maybe you should think about it in this way, that they're trying to help you to see 
the source of your problems. There's a warning on cigarette packs that say cigarettes can cause cancer for a reason. Because a connection between cancer and smoking cigarettes has been made and verified. It's not unloving for you to read that label. It's not unloving for a Christian to come to you and say, repent of your sins, trust in Jesus Christ, believe the gospel, and be saved. So it's not unloving to expose sin when it's done the right way. And Paul is telling the members of this church in Galatia to submit themselves to their church's correction and care. And Paul is telling the church to give correction and care. You who are spiritual should restore. But that's not all he says. He gives us the way in which we do go about that ministry of restoration. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In the process of restoration, gentleness is pervasive. In the process of the church confronting and correcting sin, seeking restoration, there is gentleness, there is consideration, and therefore often things move very slowly. There is one goal. It is the gentle restoration of the sinning brother or sister. It is healing. It is seeking with God's grace to restore that man or that woman to the place from which they fell so that they would be strengthened to not fall again. And I, I just need to say before we move on to the next point, I have watched this little church do this many times. Some of you just get Galatians 6.1. When sinned against, I have watched gentleness pour out of you. I've seen it in your eyes. I've heard it in, your, in the tone of your voice. There's no lashing out. There's no cold resentment. There's no keeping others at arm's length. You work to keep the person who sinned against you in honor, not in shame. And I want you to know that as I've had opportunity to watch this, I am so proud of you. I'm so thankful that I get to be a pastor to a people that are so gospel rich, so gentle. Because this is what Jesus did for us, isn't it? When we sinned against Him, He moved toward us, not away from us. When we made a mess, He cleaned our mess. And then when we took advantage of His kindness, did He keep us at arm's length? No. Just the opposite. He moved in all that much closer. And when situations in your life get hard, what does God do? Does He tell you to buck up? Welcome to the big leagues? No. He bears our burdens. 
which is the next thing Paul tells us to do. Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. The Bible envisions each individual member of a church having a part to play in the whole. In fact, Paul told the Corinthian church that she functions like a human body. Where each member of the body is important and mutually dependent on the other parts of the body in order to be healthy and to be what they were supposed to be. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Just think about how it works in your own body. When you smash your finger, what do you do? Your hand, your other hand rushes in and grabs a hold of it, wraps around it, and pulls it into your body. And you're tender with that hurting part of you. You baby that little part of you that's hurting. If you break your wrist, your other hand steps up and does more work. When there's a burden on one part of your body, it's felt by the other parts of your body, and so they step up and share the weight. And Paul is saying, this is how the church is supposed to work. We are to bear one another's burdens. So when one member of the church is suffering, the rest of the church feels that. Because the rest of the church involves themselves to help the one who is suffering. They take on additional work, additional labor until the burden is lifted off their brother or sister. You know, if you, if you were to go and buy a, a nice hiking or hunting backpack, they come with a waist belt. And this is because when you put a big load on a backpack, if you only have shoulder straps, your shoulders get sore, it hurts your back, because all the weight is on your shoulders. But a nice hunting or hiking backpack has this waist belt so that the weight on the backpack is shared throughout. The weight is on your hips as well as your shoulders. The whole body carries it more healthily and you can go farther. This is how the church is supposed to work. We're supposed to share the load with everyone else. Now, let's be honest. We're in the Midwest. This part of the country, we value hard work, honesty, self-reliance. You know, we're, we're farmers. We're hunters. We're gardeners. We're homesteaders. We renovate our own bathrooms. We fix our own cars. We like our space. We like our freedoms. And, it, and it's great. I, I love the Midwest. Self-reliance, as I said earlier, can be a good thing. But like all good things, it can go too far. Because self-reliance can feed pride. A self-reliant person values independence, and so therefore dependence feels like weakness. And the, self, and the self-reliant person, the one thing they can't stand is weakness in themselves. 
And so often they will hide their insecurities and hide their failures from others. They'll hide their burdens instead of asking for help, because asking for help is weak sauce. So, fellow Midwesterner, I, I think we need to see both sides of Galatians 6 too. God has not only commanded you to carry another person's burdens, He has also commanded them to carry yours. And so when you allow pride to get in the way of admitting that you're struggling, you're preventing your brother from doing what God has called him to do. And you also need to see that this pride of yours is encumbering your own walk with Christ and therefore hindering your ability to carry your brother's burden when he's struggling. So you're struggling, bearing a burden, and then when your brother is burdened, his burden feels like a bother to you. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How is this a fulfillment of the law of Christ? Well, think that through. What is the gospel? Except that Jesus Christ showed God's glorious grace to sinners who themselves were burdened by the guilt, by the hell-deserving guilt of their own sin. And Jesus carried the burden of their sin on His sinless back laying down His life to die in their place for their sins in order to secure forgiveness and eternal life for all who trust in Him. This is the law of Christ, to put others' needs in front of your own. To, at your own expense, spend yourself helping someone else to the glory of God. Jesus carried our burdens And so we carry one another's burdens. Jesus left the comfort of heaven and took on flesh to be with us so that our burdens of sin and shame would be lifted. So we leave the comfort of our day today to bear the burdens of someone else. It was their fault. I I go to work every day. And I work hard, so that when I come home from work, I don't have to worry about the things that this person has to worry about because they don't go to work every day, and they don't work hard, and they made a mess of their life. Do you see how that's antithetical to the gospel? Jesus Christ never sinned once, not in thought or deed, and that He bore every last sin of yours on the cross. And that all the benefits of His hard work are yours, freely, undeserving and ill-deserving as you are. We talk a lot about salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And that's good. What is faith? Is it not trust? And what is trust? Is it not? Dependence? 
Christian, your life is not just one of burden-bearing. It is also one of a dependence on other burden-bearers. Lay down self-reliance. Listen, God did not make you self-reliant. Only God is self-reliant. You're not God. Stop trying to be Him. You need us. We need you. Isn't it interesting when the author of Hebrews is telling his readers not to skip church, the reason he gives isn't the reason I would usually give. Usually when someone skips church, I tell them, you need to be here, man. You need to hear the preaching of the Word, the singing of the Word, the pastoral prayer. You need to be a part of the Lord's Supper. It's good for you. But in Hebrews 10, you can look this up, chapter 24 and 20, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. The reason the, the author of Hebrews gives is not actually you need the church, but the church needs you. Let me read it. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As long as we think about church through the lens of what we get from church, our participation in church will always be shoddy. I skipped church because, well, I've, I've had a decent week. It hasn't been that bad. Besides, I'm busy today. I'll listen in later. Our participation in a Living Stones group will be poor because, well, I'm doing okay. I can study my Bible at home. I don't think we mean to, but we made church all about us. We've turned ourselves into consumers, into customers, rather than members. What if we started thinking about church and discipleship differently? Every Sunday morning that we gather, there are burdens all across this room. So what might happen if on Saturday night we began asking the Lord, how can I stir someone up to love and good works and encourage someone tomorrow morning? How might I be of some encouragement to my Living Stones group? Because before the Lord takes me home or cancer takes me out, I want to help someone follow Jesus. If you come to church looking to receive only, it's not wrong to come to church wanting to receive. That's okay. It's good. It's right. But if you come to church only wanting to receive and totally neglecting the wonderful privilege it is to, to serve, and you're missing out on so much God has for you. So show up. Sunday mornings, Living Stones groups, and ask how people are doing. Ask how you can pray for them. You might not know it, but you might stand next to someone and ask how they're 
week has been and say, you know what, I, I just want you to know you're a great mom. You just, I just watched you with your kids and you're so affectionate. You're a great mom. And you don't know it, but maybe that was the thing that she needed in that moment, feeling discouraged, about ready to throw in the towel. And suddenly that burden is lifted off of her. Or maybe you find out that, you know, it was, last week was their anniversary and he wanted to take his wife out for dinner, but things happened and you weren't able to. And then before he's even finished with the sentence, you say, take your kids to our house this afternoon. You and your wife go have dinner. And you don't know it, but they needed to talk about something very important in that moment. And the Lord used it. And a burden is lifted. You might find out that someone washing machine broke. And you, it just so happened that you and your wife had been looking at buying a new washing machine. And the Lord moves on your heart and you go buy a washing machine and give it to them. Here's the point. How are we going to encourage someone we don't know? How can you stir someone up to love and good works when you're not involved in their life? And to shine a light on it from a different angle, everyone in this room will stand before the Lord one day and give an account. And you will have to give an account, how did I bear one another's burdens? I just wonder if you've thought about that. It is a privilege. It is a responsibility. Which brings us to our final point. Go back up to verse 1. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Down to verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So, Midwesterner, conservative, we've been hard on you. But you should be happy to read the end of verse 5 there. Everyone has a load to bear, okay? But hold up a second. Didn't we just read that I'm supposed to take my, my load and give it to someone else? Aren't I supposed to offload my load to someone else? No, we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, but we are called to carry our own load so there's a difference between burdens and loads. It's a different word. The word for burden in verse 2 is a heavy weight. It's a hardship. And that's different than a load, which is like responsibilities. And we all have responsibilities. Sometimes situations in life become heavy burdens, in which case we share those burdens with someone else. However... We don't offload our responsibilities before God on others. In the New Testament, the phrase one another appears something like 59 times or something. We're to love one another, we're to be devoted to one another, we're to submit to one another, 
to build one another up, to encourage one another, to confess our sins to one another, to bear one another's burdens, and on and on and on. This one anothering is your load, dear Christian. Each of us is called to follow Jesus and help someone else follow Him. So instead of being inward focused on me and mine and my personal relationship with Jesus, it is upward focused. It is outward focused. Isn't that what Jesus taught? The greatest two commandments? Upward focused, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Outward focused, love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we do that? Here's how we start. First Peter 4.10. Each one should use whatever gift he has to serve others. Each one should use whatever gift he has to serve others. As a Christian, you don't come without gifts. You got something. I don't know what it is. You might not even know what it is. Just try to start giving stuff away. You'll figure it out. Take someone out to lunch this week. Encourage them in the Lord. Ask how you might be able to do someone's laundry for them. Go to their house, pick up their laundry, do, do their laundry, fold their laundry, bring it back. You want to humble someone, do that. Get yourself into a Living Stones group. Not just so you can receive from others, but so that you can contribute and give to others. A lot of our Living Stones groups use Church Center to, you know, type out the prayer requests and send the prayer requests out. If you've ever wondered, well, what should I pray? There you go. Listen to the prayer requests in your Living Stones group and pray. Like, truly pray and then check in with someone. Take one of those books off the shelf in the foyer. Invite someone to read a chapter a week and sit down together and discuss it. You want to know how to grow as a Christian? This is it. Stop thinking about yourself all the time. You're wonderful, but don't you get bored with yourself? These are the legs of Galatians 5. This is what it looks like to be Christ-centered instead of self-centered. It is to put others before yourself, to rejoice in the glories of Jesus, and to share Him with someone else. Have you ever noticed that joy is one of those things that increases the more it gets shared? That's why when you find a really amazing restaurant, you tell your friends about it. When you, when, you, when you watch an amazing movie or listen to an amazing album, you share it with someone. And your enjoyment of that thing increases the more you share it with someone, and they enjoy it. It's even more true when you share the excellencies of Christ, that your delight in Christ only increases the more you share Him with someone else who is delighting in Him. That's your load, to delight in the Lord and to share that delight with someone, and when they delight in Him, to delight in Him even more. And there's a warning here. Paul's a realist, and he knows how sin has affected us, and so he teaches us 
that we need to do this job of restoring, burden-bearing, humbly. You who are spiritual are called to restore in the process of gentle restoration. And he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In community, as you are being exposed to someone else's failures, Paul wants you to know you cannot at any moment boast in your own successes. That as you are exposed to someone else's sin, you will have a tendency because of pride to congratulate yourself that you're not like them. And if you're not careful, you who are spiritual could become you who are prideful, and you'll fall into the same trap. And so he says in verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Just because you're the one restoring the transgressor doesn't mean that you won't fall prey to the same transgression. You are carrying someone's burden, and one day they will have to carry yours. This is your weapon in the battle against conceit. C.S. Lewis wrote on conceit and said, there's no fault which makes man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. So don't get it wrong. God may have given you broad shoulders. They're not broad enough. You need others. Bear your own load and do so humbly. How easy might it have been for those in Galatia who didn't fall prey to the false gospel to read Paul's instructions to deal with this false gospel and think to themselves, well, we're better than them. Dear Christian, Smugness is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, and you must overcome it. How do you guard yourself from this pride? How do you help others in their sin while remaining humble? You remember your Savior. You remember how dependent on Him and His grace that you actually are. And so Paul says, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. You look at your own work. How did you get here? Was it because you were smart that you found God? What have you done to deserve kindness from the Lord and to be preserved from this sin? The answer of the book of Galatians is you have done nothing It was grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you deserved hell and God saved you, that you are who you are because God set His love on you, that you are in Christ because of the work of Christ. And now this boast is in God's grace in your life. 
And this boast is not that you're better than him or her. We must never compare ourselves to others in an effort to feel better about ourselves. So you see someone making a wreck of their life and you think to yourself, I'm just better than them. No, you must see someone making a wreck of their life, life and think to yourself, I'm far worse than them. Only by the grace of God am I able to help. Because without the grace of God, I would be right where they are, worse even. Humility means recognizing our own unworthiness. So when you see your brother in sin, think to yourself, I'm worse than him. Have mercy on me, O Lord, and please allow me to bear his burden so that one day when he's restored, he will help me in my burden. There are no superstars on this team. You are who you are because of what God has done for you. And you are not better than anyone else. And so, by God's grace, we must lay our self-reliant individualism at the feet of Jesus so that we would be equipped to gently restore an erring brother or sister, so that we would be equipped to bear their burdens, so that we would be equipped to do our job in in humility, proclaiming the excellencies of Christ till Christ is all. Let's pray. Father, you are all-sufficient, all-knowing, and all-powerful creator and sustainer of all things. And we can only see what we see, but you see all. And in your kindness, you have shown us that we have not seen ourselves rightly. Self-reliance is in the air we breathe, Lord, have mercy. We have viewed weakness as a flaw, and in so doing, we've made much of ourselves and degraded the work of Christ. Our pride keeps us from being vulnerable, exposing our needs to others, admitting our need for help. We've isolated ourselves, we've listened to ourselves, and we've deceived ourselves. Father, we confess to our conceit. Will you forgive us? Will you give grace to humble us? May we be protected from ever thinking we are something when we are nothing. Will you cause our only boast to be in Christ? And that we would be like your servant Paul and consider ourselves the chief of sinners. Will you grant this church a ministry of gentle reconciliation, gentle restoration? Will you make us a burden-sharing and burden-bearing people? It is our sincere desire that in all things Christ would be exalted and that the strength and wisdom of man would be put down and the glory and strength and wisdom of Christ exalted in its place. Do this here. Do this for Jesus' sake.
do this for ours. Amen. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of the sin of conceit, then you have this assurance of pardon from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. The Lord disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness.